night. Shabbat Shalom. You guys dried out yet? No? April is the wonderful month in Oklahoma where we have four seasons every week. So today we are having our, our rainy season, our fall season, our spring season. Had a little bit of winter in there and uh, we also had some 80 degrees so we had some summer. So just about the time that you get your lawn chairs out and you think you're going to be spending time on the patio, the Lord says not quite yet. But hey, with all the wildfires we've been having, we will take this rain and we will see that it is a blessing uh, and so we are thankful for that. Um, I want to go over a couple of the announcements that are in your bulletin for this week. Uh, we have our youth gathering every Thursday night at the Ophel's house. Um, that's ages 13 to 19. Uh, that is right over here and more, about two miles away. Um, we have a nice group of youth and uh, young adults who are coming together uh, doing Bible studies, a time of fun. There's some games that happen. Uh, and so I want to invite all the, uh, all the youth to be uh, a part of that join with us. Uh, men's prayer breakfast is May 6th. Uh, for directions for that, please uh, see the bulletin. The 29th is the ladies prayer meeting, which is taking place at the Frickers home at 10 a.m. Also, the information on, on uh, what the address is and how to attend is here in the bulletin. So, uh, if you have any interest in being a part of that, we would love for you to join them for that. Also, our small groups. Um, we have been, uh, we're about three or four weeks into our small groups. And so, we have our uh, Joyful Marriage small groups that meets on uh, Shabbat evenings, the second and the fourth Shabbat of every month. Uh, the next meeting will be the 28th. Uh, which I believe is next week, next Saturday evening. Um, and that's going to be at Ephraim and Lauren Judas House here in Moore. Uh, we have the Ruth Bible Study for Single Women. Um, that's taking place at the Thornboroughs Home in Jones. That's every uh, Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, the Book of James uh, Bible Study, uh, which is an in-depth look throughout that book. Um, at the Frickers Home, which is Thursday evenings at 6.30, which works out great because if you've got teenagers, you can take the teenagers, drop them off at the youth gathering, and head on over to the Frickers home. There's about 2.5 miles in between there, so it's perfect for an evening. Uh, then we have the uh, inductive Bible study uh, specifically focusing on the book of Jude, uh, and that is hosted by the Drews and the Drochers, uh, which is the first and third uh, evenings of the month. Uh, the next one will be the 28th. Is that Tonight. The next one is tonight. I was going to say, how do you have second and fourth, but the next one's the 28th and third. And, and yeah, so tonight uh, at the Drew's home, which is on the east side of Norman. Um, and so definitely want you... Uh, to get plugged in for those type of situations. We have uh, Wednesday the 25th, an outreach opportunity at the City Rescue Mission. Um, for those of you who are new to HFF, know that we, uh, we spend an awful lot of time focusing on trying to give back to our communities and help. And so that's the 25th. We have eight volunteer spots open for that, helping to serve dinner. Uh, then we have Shavuot. We're in the middle of counting the Omer. Uh, and so uh, we have Shavuot on Memorial Day weekend down 
at uh, the NCED Conference Center. Uh, Monty Judah will be speaking, uh, Rico Cortez, a lot of different people. Melody Joy will be in for worship. So it's going to be a great weekend of fellowship. Um, the cool thing about that conference center is that the cost of a hotel room is actually basically two rooms. So um, if you have a friend, I think it's about $110 a night, I think, for a room. But basically, it's two completely separate rooms that are attached to each other. So there's a queen bed in one, queen bed in the other, bathroom in one, bathroom in the other, and it's 110 bucks a night. So basically, it means you have a $50 room. If you have somebody to split it with, or if you're like me and you have a, a ton of kids, they have their own space, you have your own space. And so um, kind of awesome how the Lord worked out that facility for us. So it keeps the cost down and allows you, obviously, to uh, uh, have enough space to be able to share some of that expense. And so um, we've got uh, Chris Mumford's leading worship today. The first five is uh, from Judah and then the main message today, which is Fountain of Living Water. Yes, we can thank Daniel for uh, the rain that is outside because uh, Fountain of Living Water is definitely what's taking place outside today. And so he's doing the main message today as well. So why don't we get up, say Shabbat Shalom, uh, greet one another, and then we're going to get into a time of prayer and uh, a time of worship.
Settle down, take a seat. Oh, you're fine. All right. We have a few things to be praying for this morning. I got a call this morning from Patrick, and Rosemary fell again last night. So we really need to be praying for them both. Uh, Rosemarie is very weak. She's not eating a lot. She's just having a lot of troubles, and we just need to keep praying for them. And obviously for Patrick, as uh, it's just a hardship on him. Uh, but praise, praise the Lord. Uh, he does have somebody coming in to do home care twice a week, and somebody else that comes in three times a week to also to help take, uh, bathe her and take care of her. So that's helping out quite a bit. And uh, but but we really just need to keep praying for Patrick and Rosemary, and we need to remember Daniel. Uh, he's still waiting for notification on. He had an interview some weeks ago for a job, and that hasn't been filled yet. So we're still waiting, and we just need to pray that God has the right job for Daniel, and at the right time, that God's going to open that job up and provide it for him. Uh, many of you know Marilyn Johnson. And she's at Norman Regional Hospital. She has been diagnosed with pneumonia. And there are some other tests that they want to run on her because they found some other things that they want to check out. So we need to remember Marilyn and be praying for her, praying for the doctors as they uh, do tests on her. And then we also want to remember John Griffith. Many of you know John. Uh, and we need to be praying for him. He's uh, under a lot of attack right now. And uh, he, his mind is elsewhere, if I can put it that way, okay? And so we need to be praying for John, that God will restore him and bring him back to the fellowship. Uh, he's just dealing with some issues right now, health-wise and otherwise, so we need to remember them. Is there, does anybody else have anything that they'd like to have announced for corporate prayer? I can't hear. I was rear-ended yesterday, and the gentleman has not yet called me for insurance information, so he may not have insurance. Okay. All right. Everybody hear that? All right. Let's uh, let's spend a few minutes and let's go to prayer. I'm going to let you pray as God leads you, and then I'll close this in a few minutes. All right.
thank you that we have that opportunity and the privilege to come before you to bring our requests to your throne. And we thank you that not only do you hear all of our requests, uh, but you answer them. And you always answer them in the way that's best for the person involved, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the rain that we have today, and especially for the rain in the western part of the state, and for uh, just being with all the firefighters and all the families out there in the past week that have been go going through the fires. Uh, we thank you for this rain that is helping out out there right now. We lift up to you the, the things that we mentioned earlier. Continue to pray for Patrick and Rosemarie. And pray for Marilyn as she's in the hospital for the doctors as they, as they determine what, what else is wrong with her. Continue to pray for John, for Daniel's job. Father, and we thank you that all of these that you will answer in due time. And we just need to be patient and trusting and waiting on you. We commit this service to you this morning. We thank you for those who are on the praise team. Thank you for their willingness to give of their time to lead us in, in praise. And I ask that uh, this morning that that praise would be like a sweet aroma to you and that you would find it pleasing. And I pray for each of us this morning as we praise that we might give it from our heart and that we might be willing to praise you and however you would want us to praise you. pray for those who are giving the message for Ephraim and for Daniel and we ask that you would put your words into their mouth thank you for the preparation that they've done before, before today for the guiding of your spirit as you have led them to give their messages but we commit this time to you Father and we thank you for what you're going to do in each of our lives as a result of being here for we understand that none of us are here by accident but you have us here for a reason so we thank you in Yeshua's name Amen
are children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, redeemed with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a father who will never let them go. Rejoice. Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of our praise. Rejoice. Sing the mercies of your King and with trembling rejoice. sickness, all our sorrow, Yeshua carried up a hill. He has walked this path before us, He is walking with us still. Turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice. When you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice. In the midst of suffering, he will help you sing. Rejoice. Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of our praise, rejoice, sing the mercies of your King, and with trembling rejoice. We thank you for this Sabbath, for this time together in worship.
So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. to worship together to participate in worship as a community we ask that you would bless the word and the rest of this day may we have fellowship and dwell together in unity all to your glory Shabbat Shalom. Thank you to everybody joining us here at HFF this week. We thank you for celebrating your Sabbath with us. Here at HFF, we like to uh, teach the uh, Torah cycle, Torah portions, at least for the first five minutes of teaching. We're in the midst of the book of Leviticus in that Torah cycle, so we are talking about the things of clean and unclean, the things of what that which is holy and profane, that which is right according to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for us to walk uprightly before him. Because Passover fell on a Sabbath, there's a couple of different Torah cycle lists and things, and so there's sometimes we'll, uh, there, you might read in the Torah portion for this week was, uh, you might think uh, it was uh, Tazria or Metzora, which having to do with leprosy. Um, other lists will have uh, Akarimot and Kedoshim. I'm going to talk about the subject, when we're all talking about the same thing when we're here in the midst of the book of Leviticus, what is described by teachers and by the rabbis of Israel as the heart of the law the very heart and the essence of what it is to be holy before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's these topics that we're talking about here in the midst of the book of Leviticus that's referenced in Acts chapter 15. When many Gentile believers and brethren were coming into a faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, and the all the apostles sat and they discussed, and they're like, what are we supposed to, to tell these people to do? They want to they worship with us. What are they supposed to, what commandments are they supposed to follow? And the things that they described is they gave a very simple list. They said they need to avoid meat sacrificed to idols, things strangled. Those are things having to do with kosher. They're to abstain from blood and also from sexual immorality. And it's those things, those 
things that we are talking about here right in the midst of the book of Leviticus and things that we have to, as a bare minimum, as a community, these are things we have to follow. These are things that we have to make sure that we are doing so that we are clean so that when we come and shake the hand of our fellow brother, have you ever shaken somebody's hand and it's kind of sweaty, kind of nasty when you shook somebody's hand? It's kind of like, I don't know if they wash their hands and you don't want to wipe it off after you shake their hand. It's because it's not clean. Well, spiritually, we have to work on keeping ourselves clean as well. Because when somebody walks into our midst and when you see and say you find something out about somebody and you're like, oh, you, did you hear what they did? Did you hear about that scab they have on them? Or do you hear about what they do here, did there? Suddenly there's like an uncleanliness to them. It's like, well, what are they doing here? Why are they in my congregation? Why are they in my fellowship? And you want to disfellowship with them. That's because God calls for us to be holy, and that's because that's what it takes. You, you don't want to have any of those things be a part of your life if you want to be a part of a fellowship or a community, because if you're unclean, then you might find yourselves cast out, cut off from among your people. Here in our passage um, that I'm talking about here, we talk about the sanctity of blood, how important blood is to the scripture. The blood, the life is in the blood. The soul is in the blood. The blood belongs to God. Anytime that there was a sacrifice, any sort of animal that was killed for either sacrifice or simply for eating food, the blood was supposed to go back and be put back into the ground where it came from because it belongs to the Lord. It is holy to him. And then when we get into the chapter of Leviticus chapter 18, where it talks about a great deal of sins having to do with fornication, sexual immorality. Let me read to you the first couple of verses of chapter 18 that's the preface for all of this. The Lord speaks to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do, and according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. The rest of the chapter goes into those sins that uh, I think we're all familiar with, and uh, sometimes we pick and choose which of these to quote, but they, dealing with them specifically, we have the subjects of incest, homosexuality, and bestiality, and those things. And why is this? Some of these things are uncomfortable to talk about, but what are we really talking about here as to why to abstain from these things? It's to be holy before him. And we just got done the passage before that, chapter 17, is all about blood. And what all it has to do is the blood. Who are we in family, in covenant with? When two people are married, a man and a wife, and they become married and they join into that covenant, they become a blood relative to each other. They become a part of the family. And just like us, when we look and we, we believe in God and we believe in his son, he sent his, his son to be our savior. And he said, he took a cup and he said, this is my blood. Partake of this. And if we spiritually have partaken of that drink, that spiritual drink of his blood, then we're a part of his family. 
But being a part of his family, there's still, we have to remain clean. There's boundaries, there's guidelines on how we are to act, how we are to behave. I love this right here at the beginning of chapter 18 where it says, which if a man does, he shall live by them. The statutes, the judgments. If a man keeps the statutes and judgments of God, he shall live by them. Notice there it doesn't say if any man of the children of Israel does these things. It just says a man. Anyone. The commandments that follow here about being righteous and being holy and upright is for all of mankind. Not just for the children of Israel, not just for the people that were here in the hearing of this. But if you keep these commandments, if you keep these judgments, these statutes, you shall live by them. That's why they're so important. That's why it has to do with blood. Blood is about life. That which is right. God created life. He wants life to live on. He gave us the command to, to, to go fill the earth and subdue it. Because it's all about life and, and living. And, and when you have a, relation, a, a proper righteous covenant between a man and a woman, it produces life. It produces a family. That's the purpose of all of these commandments. For, for us to live by them. We're to be clean and righteous and holy before him. In the same way in our own homes, I mean, I'm sure you have this example here, if there's any fathers listening. You have your home, you have your family that's a part of your family. You have a table. And when you come and you sit at the table to eat, to partake, to fellowship with one another, you have rules for your table. Your kids aren't coming to the table with dirty hands. If they were out playing in the mud, digging in the dirt... I got a nice big hole in the side of my yard where my kids love to just dig up the dirt and they're digging up my foundation. I have to go buy a bag of topsoil and fill it back in so they can keep digging it up. They love to dig. But if they're digging right before they come to the dinner table, they better wash their hands. When they sit at the table, there's going to be good food at the table. Clean food, good to eat. Our conversation will always be about good and righteous and wholesome things. If somebody else is invited to the table, they need to make sure they're following the same rules as well. We're not going to have conversation about things that are profane and things not of God. That's at least the rules for my table in my house. Maybe you don't have a family right now, but you can probably remember growing up in your house, you had similar rules. That's simply what we're talking about here in Leviticus, where God has a table. He's got his presence in the camp. And when he invites members of his family by blood to his table, he has some very simple rules for us to be in his presence. He has called us to be a holy people. He has called us to be clean, to distinguish us from the rest of the world. Let me read now from Leviticus chapter 20 here at verse 22. This is the conclusion of this portion for the week. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out, but you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, 
For they commit all of these things, and therefore I abhor them. And I have said to you, you shall inherit this land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples, and shall therefore distinguish between the clean animals and the unclean, between the unclean birds and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the earth, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy to me, for I... I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. When we are, those of us that are believers, we do feel separate from the rest of the world. When you go, you might share what you believe and you're different from everybody else. Almost feels like you're in the minority when it comes to the rest of the world and the rest of society in the things that you believe. That's because that's exactly what God has called you and you are his. If you belong to him, if you're a part of his family, then you are separated and you are distinguished from the things of the world. That's what we need to continue to do, to continue to walk uprightly before him, making sure that we are remaining clean and holy and righteous. It's not our job to worry about other people's cleanliness, but Leviticus is written for us to read and for us to concentrate on our cleanliness. Yeshua said, don't talk about the splinter in another man's eye while you have a log in yours. So what we have to do is always remain focused on us. Are we doing what is right before the Lord? Are we remaining clean so that we're invited to the table as we partake with the blessings that God gives to us being a part of his family. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching, your instruction. Father, and we pray that you would constantly cause us to be clean, to be holy, to be righteous before you. Father, I pray that you would make your commandments, your words, your instructions new for your mercies are new each day, Father. So as we read these words, the stories of old and these commandments. Father, I pray that you would make them new. Let us take them to heart, Lord, and let us learn to walk uprightly before you each and every day in our homes, in our families, and when we walk about the way. So, Father, we thank you for calling us from all the nations, choosing us from among all peoples, Lord giving us your words, your instructions, so that we may live. Lord, not with just a life that is measured in years, Lord, but with an eternal life in your presence, in your house, with you, our Heavenly Father. So we love you, bless you, and thank you on the Sabbath day for everything you do for us. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. If we could have all the kids come on up, let's pour out a blessing upon the family of HFF, all these beautiful children before us. Here they come. All right.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day, Lord, and we pour out a blessing upon each and every one of these children who are a part of this community and this greater family, Lord. We pour out a special blessing upon them, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for the unmerited favor and the grace that they are in our eyes and in our lives, Lord. You've entrusted us, the parents, the elders, Lord, to their care. And Father, I pray that you would always give us the wisdom and the knowledge to speak life into them, telling all the stories of old, teaching them of your words, your commandments, your instructions, Lord. May we always speak life into them. Father, I pray that you make the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make them fruitful and multiply, Lord. Make the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther, Lord. Make them righteous daughters of Zion, Lord. And we pour out a blessing upon each and one of these beautiful children before us, Lord and the grace that they are, Lord. So we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise in this place. We thank you for our kids, our families, and for this community. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat shalom. So last week... We had a definite haze going on in the air, right? So this week, thankfully, the Lord has brought the rains, the showers to hopefully quench all the fires that uh, are out on the western part of the state. And so um, thank you for all of you who came out today, uh, who, uh, you know, braved the weather here with the the rainfall, especially those that came from Tulsa area. Um, So uh, anyway... So, a lot of us are on, um, you know, different calendars, okay? Um, Some of us are on a calendar where we are on the 22nd day of the counting of the Umar. Some of us are on a calendar where we're on the 14th day of the counting of the Umar. Some of us may be somewhere else, okay? Um, So... Either way, uh, you know, we've, we've got all your bases covered, as, as Ephraim talked about a bit. <clears throat> so he talked a, a bit about Ahremot and Kedoshim. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Tatsri and Metzora. Why? Because uh, oozing pus and blood and oozing stuff is always great to talk about. Okay? So, uh, <laughs> anyway... Um, so, in this week's uh, readings, we come across uh, some interesting discussions. It's uh, Leviticus chapters 12 through 15 in uh, those portions of Tetzria and Metzora. Um, it starts off with this instruction about when a woman gives birth. It says, uh, Isha ki Tetzria. Um, it's literally when a woman gives birth. And so, there are these instructions. All of chapter 12 basically is about this. And there's this interesting concept that when a woman gives birth, that she is somehow separated from Adonai, at least from his tabernacle or temple. Okay? And then when she gives birth, that there's specific instructions she has to follow, and she cannot come into his presence in either the tabernacle or the temple for a period of 30-some-odd or 60-some-odd days, depending upon which gender of child she gave birth to. Unless, of course, that child wants to identify itself as some other gender, then that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> so, uh, no, clearly there's, there's a, you know, either 30-something days or 60-something days. There's no in-between. So, uh, then we see that there is an instruction then uh, that as we move on concerning the Metzorah, Okay, what is a metzora? A metzora is someone who has contracted sara'at, uh, leprosy. 
okay? Now, this is not what we know as leprosy today. What we know as leprosy today referred to as Hansen's disease. Okay, Hansen's disease is a debilitating disease where your flesh becomes so rotten that literally limbs start falling off. Okay, so... service is shocking. Clearly we're going to have some challenges today. So bear with us as we go through this, uh, the sound system issue. So anyway, so um, someone who has, uh, in biblically speaking, biblically speaking, someone who has contracted leprosy, tsaraat, Okay, this is any of many skin conditions that one could contract. Okay, it takes many forms. Um, what we refer to as leprosy today is, is a one very specific form of skin condition um, that is, uh, you know, has serious problems uh, with it, like our sound system. And so, um, whereas this, this biblical category of leprosy, it, uh, there was many things that, you know, so for instance... Today we would refer to as conditions like eczema or psoriasis uh, under this category, basically. Any, any, kind of, any kind of something that's on your skin that doesn't belong there, essentially, would have to be examined by the priests. And there are then... I don't think it's the microphone. It's the sound system. Yeah, okay. So, um, anyway, so there's these instructions then concerning the, the, the leper, the metzora, okay? Now, traditionally speaking, and when I use the word traditionally, I'm really referring to rabbinically speaking, okay? The, the uh, interpretation of someone who has, has contracted sara'at, um, they have done so because of lashon hara, which means the evil tongue. Okay, this is the, the rabbinical interpretation is that if you have contracted some kind of a skin condition, it is because you have spoken evil of someone in some fashion. Okay, now um, whether or not we ascribe to this view, uh, there are these uh, instructions. And what's interesting about this is, you know, I don't necessarily see that same link. Okay, we could, uh, you know, talk about that. But here's the thing, that there, this is lumped into a whole greater group of things, and it's all about when we find ourselves in a position where we're separated from Him. Okay? Because number one, if we, are, if we then make the link that someone who contracts leprosy is done so specifically because of the evil tongue, they've spoken evil, okay? Um, then what about the other conditions that are taking place that we're going to read about? So we have a lot of yummy topics here that, that take place. There's instructions uh, concerning the man who has a discharge coming out of his body. I'll stop there. Uh, then there's uh, instructions about a woman who has a discharge of blood coming out of her body. Uh, it says anything that she sits on uh, or lies on becomes unclean. Any who, anyone whom she touches becomes unclean. There, then it goes on to talk about different skin conditions and bodily emissions and oozing pus and blood and all kinds of awesome stuff, right? So, um, 
And in addition to all of this, we have what we started off with when a woman gives birth to a child. A child doesn't come forth through sin. The first command, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. We were commanded to be fruitful, to bear fruit. And so bearing a child is not something that's sinful. So if we are to attach some kind of a, you know, response to, to any one of these and say, oh, it's specifically because this person sinned and sinned in this specific fashion, uh, it doesn't fit the context of what's going on here. Because this is just talking about, these are physical conditions of the body. Where we, because of something taking place in our body, we then have a separation between us and the Father. Why? Because we cannot approach Him in an unholy fashion. And unfortunately, something that has taken place here has done a job of separating us from Him because we can't approach Him. Okay? Now, in the case of a woman giving birth, it's very simple. There's the shedding of blood. Okay? And in the shedding of blood that takes place in, in childbirth then you have something that, this is something that cannot come into his presence. Okay? Now, there's a certain shedding of blood that is acceptable in his presence, and that's the sacrifice of a clean animal. But the shedding of blood that emits from our bodies, that's not the same classification. And we could talk about, you know, the, the egg and what takes place, and, you know, when a, a woman is on her cycle, what takes place with the egg is the, is the actual death of that egg. You know, it's, it's the, the loss of life, and thus death can't come into his presence. Things, there's all kinds of different rabbit trails we could take on explaining all these different things as to why we then find ourselves in a position where we're separated from him. Either way, he gets to make the rules, we get to abide by them, and he says don't bring this in my house, okay? Until you've gone through the proper cleansing process and then come on into the house. It's just like what Ephraim was talking about. Look, you can't come and sit at my table and eat with me until you clean your hands, okay? It's the very same concept. That's all we see here, okay? The problem is that we essentially live in a time, a day, and an age where we don't have access to that cleansing process, uh-oh. So we are all walking around, to a certain extent, in a condition of tameh, which is the Hebrew word for unclean. Okay, now, we just talked about the mitzorah. What the mitzorah had to do, he was commanded to be outside of the community. And when he was outside of the community, what was he instructed to do? If someone came near him, he was to cover his mouth and shout, unclean! Tame! Are we that much different? After all, we find ourselves in a continual state of Tame from a certain standpoint. Okay? Why? Because, let me give you the examples. So, let's say that um, you have, you are a married couple and you have relations. Okay? Um, guess what? According to scripture, you're unclean until you bathe in the sunsets. Okay? Let's say a woman goes through her cycle, and I, as a man, I'm not, you know, way on the, you know, super ultra-orthodox side. I don't have a separate bed to sleep in from my wife during that, you know, two-week time frame. Okay? I sleep in the same bed. I might sit in the same chair. According to scripture, I have become unclean. What remedy do I have? Well, I'm supposed to 
take a mikvah, a, a baptism, okay, bathe, and let the sun go down. In other words, a new day starts, and then I'm made clean. Here's the thing. If during that time, before I'm able to do those things, if I shake someone's hands, guess what I do? I transfer that to them. We're all walking around shaking each other's hands. We're pretty much all in a state of Tomei. Even if you follow the proper rules and instructions that you bathe yourself and wait till sundown, you may come in contact with somebody else who gets you all unclean all over again. Okay? So we face, this is part of the issue that uh, Judaism has. Within Judaism, I mean, think about the, the typical Jewish comic. Okay? There's lots of them that are very famous. Okay? So Seinfeld is one of the easiest ones to point out. If you talk to any Jewish comic, they will talk to you about the Jewish angst. And this gives feed for their, their comedy. It's about, you know, oh, when I was raised, it was always, oh, don't do that, you'll die. You know, there was this constant brooding that their parents were doing over them because it, it, everything was fatal, okay? And so it's, it's part of ingrained into, you know, their, their, their way of thinking, essentially. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that there's no remedy, okay? When we find ourselves in a, basically in a constant state of Tamei, physically, okay, it, it puts us at odds with the spiritual principles. It says, in fact, in Leviticus 15.31, the goal, the point of the entire, all the instructions that are here about if you find yourself in this physical condition, this is what you are to do. It comes down to this. Verse 31 in chapter 15, thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness so that they will not die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. In other words, if they enter my tabernacle in that state of uncleanness, I'm going to have to move. And I don't mean pick up and go somewhere. I mean my hand's going to have to move. I have clear instructions. You cannot come and sit at my table and eat with dirty hands. There are serious ramifications. Okay? Being in a state of Tameh forces us to confront our separation from Adonai. Because physically, strictly speaking in the physical, we all find ourselves in that position. What is our remedy? What are we to do? In order to be cleansed from being Tameh, in order to enter his presence, there are certain steps that we must follow. A righteous and a pure king cannot be approached by impurity. The necessary result would be death, and the one approaching him coming in an unworthy fashion, he says, the result is going to be death. The remedy, we already brought it up. The mikvah, baptism, cleansing in water, and waiting for the sun to go down. A new day starts, okay? So what are the requirements of a mikvah? Well, if we were to look in scripture and see what, uh, what it says about a, a mikvah pool, okay, something in order that you would be cleansed from these different conditions, it just says that it needs to be living water. Well, what is living water? Living water is something that has a flow, essentially. In other words, it's from a fresh source, so it's coming from somewhere. So, for instance, a river, a creek, would be excellent examples of living water. Now, whether a lake qualifies as living water, that can be debated, 
okay? Its source is something fresh. In other words, it's not a stagnant pool, okay? So now, if you were to go and look at the excavations that are taking place in Jerusalem and Jerusalem, you'll find that they have uncovered hundreds of these mikveh pools, okay? This was a huge thing in part, as part of the first century practice. In fact, it was said that Yaakov, uh, the brother of Yeshua, that he would mikveh three times a day. And that when he did so, he would... Oh, I said it. <laughs> that he would mikveh three times a day because he was constantly in the temple. Okay? And so he was making sure that as he approached a holy king, that he would be in the right place. Okay? That he would have been cleansed from his impurity. Now, where does this concept for a, a living water come from? Okay? So we see this in, in uh, the Torah where it talks about the mikveh. It's living water. We see it in numerous other places where, for instance, um, in the case of the... Um, the ashes of the red heifer, they have to take some living water to mix it with the ashes. Okay? Things of this nature. So we see this numerous times. The reason for the, the living water, however, comes from this concept right here. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. In Jeremiah chapter 2, Adonai himself identifies himself as the fountain of living waters. He repeats this in chapter 17, in verses 13 and 14, where it says, O Adonai, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even Adonai. So we see here twice in the book of Jeremiah that Adonai himself is identified as being the fountain of living water. Okay? Now where am I going with this? This brings us then to John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman at the well. Because our concept of living water generally starts in the book of John. But that's not the source. Yeshua is quoting something else. He, in speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, Yeshua says, If you knew the gift of Elohim and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will, will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him it will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The fountain of living water. You see, we could talk about all the different ways that Yeshua is deity. And there's hundreds of statements just like this in which he's making that claim. Adonai says, I am the fountain of living water. And Yeshua says, if you would just ask of me, I would give you of that living water. And that when you receive it from me, that living water will spring up within you. May they be one as you and I are one, Father. We see then Paul talking about this topic 
in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 11, Paul is talking specifically about a mikvah and the purpose of a mikvah, which, by the way, is done in living waters, right? He says, therefore, we have been buried with him, with Yeshua, through the mikvah, baptism into death, so that as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, in order that the tamay, the uncleanness, might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to Elohim. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Elohim in Messiah Yeshua. See, here's the thing. We have a conundrum. We're all walking around Tameh. If not for Yeshua, the source of living waters, that cleanses us from our uncleanness. Because if you ask for the living waters from him, they'll spring up as a fountain within you from the very source of that fountain, Adonai himself. And that is like a mikvah within you at all times, cleansing you continually so the tamay can't stick. We see that Paul discusses this further in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. It says, For in him, in Yeshua, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Oh no, he was just a prophet. No, he was just a man. He wasn't actually God. He can't be. Because God can't exist as a man. Hmm. Paul doesn't seem to be of that opinion. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Messiah, having been buried with him in the mikvah, in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of Elohim, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were Tameh, with no remedy. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgression, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Whatever uncleanness that you have found yourself in, the fountain of living waters has nailed to the cross. Now, 
It's our job to make sure that we don't muddy our fountain. Because if that fountain is within you, don't go throwing a bunch of dirt into it. Now, sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes we cannot even help that we're throwing dirt into that fountain. Which brings me to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. In this portion we see a woman who by no decision of her own, by no action of her own, was faced with the fact that she was constantly, continually in a state of tamay. According to the scriptures that we've already discussed in Leviticus, this woman had a discharge of blood coming from her on a regular, everyday basis, nonstop. She had to be ostracized from society. Someone like this, living in a first century context, chances are very high she had not felt human touch for quite some time. Because in order to touch someone, she would instantly make them tame as well. Imagine being in this position where you're basically ostracizing yourself because you have to. Lest you risk making someone upset because you accidentally or intentionally rendered them unclean. Imagine going through your day, your week, your month without any human contact, no human touch. How lonely that would feel. How displaced that would feel. So we see that this woman finds herself in a desperate situation. And it says, when Yeshua had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. So he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Yair came up and upon seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. 12 years. 12 years of separating herself from everybody. 12 years of removing herself from touching anyone. 12 years of having to warn anyone who came close unclean. 12 years of embarrassment. 12 years. She had endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. This is the condition she finds herself in. Twelve years, desperation, seeking an answer, and none is found. 
how earnestly she probably prayed for deliverance. And for 12 years, she suffered. After hearing about Yeshua, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Yeshua, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Now, the reaction of the disciples is priceless here. His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, Who touched me? They're all touching you! And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling. Why? Because she just broke a Torah command. She just sinned by touching him. Not to mention, there was a crowd. She had to touch quite a few people to get in there. Fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The source of living water has cleansed you. And you don't have to be alone anymore. This is the power our Messiah holds. This is the freedom that our Messiah brings. We can be cleansed no matter what we are suffering through. No matter what we have faced in our lives. No matter how difficult the trial. Even things that are beyond our control that oppress us. We can find freedom. We can find deliverance. Because there is power in the hem of his cloak. We are all Metzoras. We are all in the same condition as this woman. Because again, we're all in a physical state of uncleanness at all times. Just due to the human contact that we have. We all stand in need of a mikvah in the living waters. Fortunately, we have access to that fountain of living waters. Now right now, it's a spiritual application. But Zechariah speaks of a day that is coming when we will walk into his kingdom. And what will we find there? In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In the kingdom, a fountain will be opened up for the cleansing from sin and impurity. The fountain of living waters will be there in the kingdom, to which we will all be able to come and be cleansed. Until that time, 
We rely upon the very fountain himself, Yeshua, to cleanse us from our sin and our impurity. So the question that I have here for us today is this. Are we, like the woman with the issue of blood, are we willing to risk everything in order to get close enough to our Messiah that he might cleanse us? Or are we going to stay back and not approach our Messiah out of fear? You see, it's only through that source of living water that we can be cleansed. So the question is, are we going to disregard everything that holds us back so that we might desperately approach him and just get a touch of the hem of his garment? We all are approaching a day here very soon. Whether uh, that day is in uh, 27 days for you or whether that day is in 36 days for you. Okay? We're all approaching a day very soon here where he has commanded us to gather together and to shout and to praise him and to bring offerings. Right now, we are in the days of counting the Omer. The days of counting up to that 50th day. That day after the seventh Sabbath. After which then, we get to participate in exactly what Paul was referencing. We have identified with his death and we have crucified ourselves along with him. And guess what? Then we are raised up to life the same way he was as the first fruits of the resurrection on Shavuot. We're counting up to that day. We're counting up to 50. I'd like to challenge you to do something as we are counting this year. Try something a little different. Why don't you count down? Count down to that day. Count down to that day, whether that day is in 27 days or 36 days, whichever way you reckon it. Now, those of us that are blessed enough to be able to attend the Shavuot that's taking place here in Norman at the end of May, we are always given the opportunity as one of the last things that we get to do at Shavuot is to participate in a mikvah. What an awesome opportunity. On the very day Years later, but the very day that our Messiah arose and conquered death, can we identify with him as Paul talks about by going under the water and dying to our old self and coming up a new creation? Being resurrected through him, the source of living water. I would challenge you to count down to that day 
and to participate in whatever day that you do your Shavuot, however you do it, wherever you do it. I would encourage you to make a practical application of enjoying and participating in a mikvah and identify with that cleansing that takes place, understanding that it's He that does the cleansing and that He sets you free from everything that's holding you back. May we enter into that season with joy and thanksgiving as we experience the first fruits of the resurrection Yeshua Messiah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the days that we are living in. We thank you for uh, giving us the instruction to count the Omer and to look forward to, to anticipate that day on which years ago you gave us your Torah. Years ago you brought us to the mountain. Years ago you made your covenant with us and you gave us your instructions. And then on that same day, Many years ago, you provided your spirit in such a way that the temple was filled with a rushing mighty wind and that men spoke in other languages and 3,000 people were brought into your kingdom that day. It's that same day that we are looking forward to with expectancy. We anticipate this coming Shavuot and as we count toward it, Father, may the anticipation in our hearts increase just as the woman with the issue of blood must have been trembling as she approached you. May we approach your day with the same fear and anticipation and wonder and excitement. And may we, just like she did, experience a new freedom set free from everything that's held us back because we came to you and we dared reach out to touch the hem of your garment and you cleanse us because you are the source of all living water. We thank you for your goodness and we pray these things in your name. Amen. something. All right. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and said, tell Aaron his sons, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel."
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord beg his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Instead of building more walls, yeah. let's build more bridges. Yeah. Let's build more bridges. Yeah.